preaching text is Philippians 1, 1 through 18a. Paul writes this from prison to the church in Philippi, his partners in the gospel. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every time I remember you, constantly praying with you, joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and the defense in the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how long for how I long for you, all of you, with the compassion of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and the praise of God. I want you to know, beloved, that what has happened to me has actually helped to spread the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God to everyone else that my imprisonment is for Christ and most of brothers and sisters having me been made confident in the Lord of my imprisonment dare to speak the word with greater boldness and without fear. Some proclaim Christ for, from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. These proclaim Christ out of love, knowing that I have been put there for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but intending to increase my suffering in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Just this, that Christ is proclaimed in every way, whether out of false motives or true, and in that I rejoice. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Loving Spirit, 
bind us together with that love which can come only from you. Amen. I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of that letter, but that greeting that I always open my sermons with, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace, is directly uh, from the greeting to the Philippians in this letter. So uh, if you ever wondered where that came from, that's where it comes from. Well, in our Acts reading two weeks ago, Paul was in the city of Philippi in what is now modern-day Greece, and he had not been there very long, maybe not even a month, um, but he had already found a receptive home for the gospel in uh, the, house of, uh, the household of a woman named Lydia, who was a uh, dealer of purple cloth. So this was two weeks ago in Acts chapter 16. And if you remember, as they shared the good news of Jesus Christ more and more in that city, these new believers in Jesus began to gather together for worship and for prayer, forming what became known as the Philippian Church. And this church, like many of the early churches, it seemed to contain people from all walks of life. There were slaves and free, there were Gentiles and Jews, there were wealthy and poor, all meeting together for worship and for prayer. And it was here, as you uh, perhaps remember from two weeks ago, that Paul and Silas were arrested and thrown into prison for casting out a fortune-telling spirit from a slave girl. And it was also here that an earthquake miraculously opened those prison doors and loosened the bonds of Paul and Silas, and this led to the salvation of their jailer and his household, as rather than escaping they stayed and ministered to him. Well, this morning our reading is from a letter that Paul wrote to this church in Philippi, perhaps still including this jailer and his household. And as is normally the case with Paul's letters, we don't really know when he wrote it or where he was uh, when he wrote it. There's lots of guesses. Uh, some are ed very well-educated guesses. And of the guesses that I've seen, my favorite is that it was written while he was imprisoned in Rome, maybe some 10 or 15 years uh, after uh, this, uh, the beginning of that church in Philippi. But regardless of the exact time or location, we do know that Paul wrote this letter during one of his many imprisonments. And we also know that imprisonment was not easy, particularly in the ancient world. I mean, prison in the ancient world is almost nothing uh, like prison today. I mean, first off, today we think of prison as a punishment uh, or maybe a tool of uh, rehabilitation so that the person can one day re-enter society. Well, in Paul's day, prison was simply a holding cell. It was simply where you went as you awaited your time before the judge or perhaps awaited the time when your sentencing would be carried out, sentencing which was very often fatal. Unless you had severely angered a ruler of some kind, usually you wouldn't be in prison for months or years on end. And so the prison really wasn't designed to be livable for very long. In fact, many prisons weren't much more than uh, maybe a couple large stone-lined rooms, uh, maybe set down into the ground with small windows, if any, for added security, and the prisoners would simply be chained up or, or locked in stocks in those rooms to prevent them from escaping. Sanitation in places like this was uh, essentially non-existent, and the prison officials had little to no responsibility for keeping their prisoners healthy. 
So to be thrown in a prison in that time was to be chained up in a dark room, damp and filthy, usually with other prisoners there with you, being given no extra clothes, no blankets, and only the bare minimum of food to keep you alive. For those who were in prison and had no friends or family to care for them while they were there, this easily could result in their death from disease or infection or even exposure to the elements if it was cold. But it wasn't only the physical conditions that made imprisonment so terrible, because imprisonment itself was considered to be a shameful thing, incredibly shameful, regardless of the reason you were there, whether you were there justly or unjustly. Now, for us today, shame isn't that big of a deal, at least not compared to the horrendous living conditions. Um, But that's only because we don't take honor and shame as seriously as people did in their culture. In Paul's day, preserving your honor was often literally a matter of life and death. I mean, it was well accepted. There's all sorts of stories in both Greek and Roman culture uh, of preserving your honor over preserving your life, of people actually committing suicide in order to preserve their honor in some way. As an example of that, if you think back to our reading a couple of weeks ago, uh, you may remember that when the jailer thought that the prisoners under his charge had escaped after that earthquake opened the cell doors, his very first reaction, even before double-checking to see if they had escaped, was to commit suicide, was to put himself to death. I mean, this is nearly incomprehensible to us, but by doing this, he would save face and present, prevent rather the shame of his failure from attaching to his family. And so for him, by the logic of his culture, suicide was actually the preferable and logical option. Being a prisoner was much the same, and it seems from the very few records we have that suicide was a very common thing among those who were imprisoned, whether they were awaiting their trial or awaiting their punishment. So imagine with me for a second what Paul's imprisonments must have been like. I mean, Paul's locked up in prison. He's left in chains around the clock. It's not like he gets uh, outdoor leave time. He's in a dark, probably windowless room. There's probably many other prisoners in there with him. The officials, uh, the jailer, those in charge of the prison, they have very little incentive to care for him. And uh, he certainly has no way of caring for himself, so he is entirely at the mercy of those who are moved to support him. And on top of that, even though that he has done nothing wrong, the shame of his imprisonment is ever-present. Paul can see it in the way the guards treat him. He can see it in the way the other prisoners carry themselves. And what's more, it seems that there are even some preachers in some of the churches who are using Paul's shameful situation as an opportunity for their own gain. Perhaps they are pointing to Paul's shame as a sign that he has fallen out of God's favor. Or perhaps they are taking over some of the churches that he helped plant, usurping his authority. Or perhaps they're simply withholding their support from him, even though they are close enough to do so. Well, as the days go on like this, and there's no set trial date, there's uh, no set release date, you can imagine how this might wear on Paul, both in his body 
as well as in his spirit. You can understand, perhaps, why Paul, just after our reading, might say something like this. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. And he goes on to say, I don't know which I prefer. I mean, given this background, what's astonishing to me about this letter, this letter to the uh, Philippian church, which Paul is writing from prison, is how astonishingly cheerful he is. I mean, that that verse that was uh, central, it's not in our reading, but it was in the children's reading, rejoice in the Lord always. He writes this from prison to his friends in Philippi. He opens this letter, I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. Uh, Or as he uh, says that rejoice in the Lord always, or again in Philippians 4.13, that favorite memory verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All of these written while chained up in a prison cell. Now, it's possible that this is written in, during a house arrest, which would physically be a, a bit more comfortable, but the shame of it would be no different. And so it's astounding to me that Paul manages, that Paul has the personal fortitude to maintain his firm trust in God throughout this imprisonment. But of course, he's not doing it on his own. He's carried by the grace of God. He's especially carried by the grace of God working through the love of the church. I mean, listen to Paul's love for these Philippians. God is my witness, he writes, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Christ Jesus. And compassion there is actually almost too weak of a word uh, to describe this. I uh, told our uh, Wednesday evening Bible study about this already. They're going to hear it again. Uh, but this word for compassion, it's my favorite word in Greek. It's splonkna. If you ever want to say a fun word, splonkna in Greek. And it literally means uh, a person's guts or bowels. It's your innards. But it's used as a metaphor to mean this deep, gut-wrenching compassion, this love which is down at the core of you. And so Paul, writing to the Philippians, he says, how I long for you with the deep splonkna, the deep compassion of Christ Jesus. And these Philippians, it seems, they love him in return. They've sent someone, we find out later in the letter, they've sent one of their own to him to bring resources to Paul, to care for him while he's in prison, to feed him sufficiently, uh, perhaps to provide extra clothing or a mat that he can sleep on. Their love is indeed abounding to Paul, and Paul's joy is abounding in return. You know, too often I think we forget about this love which God has generously supplied the church. Often when we think about the church, we think about programs or we think about budgets or we think about buildings. But in reality, the church isn't any of these things. The church is the people that God has gathered together in worship and in prayer. And once we have been gathered We're not merely gathered to tolerate one another. We're uh, to keep one another at arm's length with polite conversation, but actually to love one another, to love one another with that deep, gut-wrenching compassion of Jesus Christ. All of us together are partners in the gospel. Just as Paul and the Philippians, though they were separated by many miles, were partners in the gospel, supporting each other, praying for each other, loving each other. 
So much so that when one suffers, all suffer. And when one rejoices, all rejoice. For through the work of Christ, we are all one together. So brothers and sisters, let me leave you with this. You are not in this alone. Let me say that again. You are not in this alone. For the Holy Spirit has seen fit to gather us all together so that we might strengthen and support and love and care for one another, that we may weep together when the time is for weeping, that we may rejoice together when the time is for rejoicing, that when one has a need, a lack in anything, whether it is a physical lack or a spiritual lack or an uh, emotional lack, the rest of us have been blessed with the abundance to care for that need. So that in moments of honor or shame, of, of sickness or health, of uh, triumph or sorrow, we can continue to rejoice in the Lord together. And that though individually I may not always feel like rejoicing, the church around me can rejoice on my behalf. That though individually prayer may be hard to come by and worship may feel forced, the church around you can worship and pray on your behalf. For God is faithful. And God has given all of us, not as individuals, but as a group, everything that we need. And we can rejoice in the Lord for that. Amen.